what I'm really interested in is who are you? Tell me Mm. more. And what I'm looking for in that is strengths and creativity and how they express themselves and what makes sense to them and where there might have been ruptures along the way. Not that those were necessarily traumatic for them because everyone's going to experience trauma differently. It's subjective. But what might be some of these data points that I might want to go back to and not jump to any sort of conclusions of pathology? Hello and Jaima, Jaima Yomiz, it is Raquel and welcome to Your Own Magic, a podcast for the creative and the curious soul and I am hoping that you're having a magical, a happy, or if anything, simply healing or enlightening wrap up to the end of 2022, doing some reflecting, some be speaking for the next year. And yeah, just something magical, some sort of recognizing how much you've evolved this 2022. Right now, I'm just with myself and my puppy, a nice little retreat for us the past month and until the end of the year. Yeah, it's a nice time to to reflect a lot. For the end of 2022, I have a 22% discount for orders over $55 right now on my eyesofaspen.com shop. Just type in the code MAGIC22 at checkout. Now, MAGIC might have to be caps. I don't know for sure, but type out in caps, MAGIC22. And yeah, we have some new things in this week as well, and also some more next week. But this week, we've got a new spiritual ritual herb kit with 20 ritual herbs and a crystal spoon that you can use for your new and full moon rituals or sacred ceremonies in your own room. And also a special tarot deck, the original tarot cards deck, which is an alternative to the Rider Waite. This tarot deck was designed in 1909 by Pamela Coleman Smith. Yeah, it's nice for beginners. It's nice for seasoned tarot readers. And I'm so excited to have offer that on the site for you. And also, if you're interested in potentially coming to a retreat with Brie Melanson and I in 2023, where we're going to be doing a lot of breath work, a lot of soul work, and whatever else comes through, well, fill out a quick form at yourownmagicpodcast.com slash retreat. And I hope to see you sometime next year. And also on the site while you're there, send a topic or a question of something that comes to heart that you'd like covered soon on the podcast, whether it's something I answer on a solo, soulful episode, or I have an expert come on like today, which was inspired by this question from Cece from Texas, who writes, what advice would you give to people struggling with bad habits or addictions? I've been on a spiritual journey for the past two years, and I've reached a point where I don't think I can expand any further spiritually until I face my bad habits and addictions. I rely heavily on nicotine and caffeine and I can feel my guides telling me to stop or cut back and it's just so hard. It is. Cece, it is. I understand where you're coming from and I'm thankful to talk to an expert about this topic today. You are definitely not alone in this and being on a spiritual journey while simultaneously suffering from a human experience like addiction or any sort of bad habits that just may not feel healthy or right for our human, it's challenging it it feels like it's impossible to let go but you know it's possible and that's why you are reaching out and i so appreciate that and i'm a big believer in understanding the power of healing and forgiving by simply looking at the root of the problem which is possible and so this episode is close to my heart as i know several who have suffered severely with the very human and very common experience of addiction. And so, I mean, addiction and suicide rates have increased in adolescents and adults, which has become an epidemic, especially over the past few years, and it only rose significantly during the pandemic. So it is essential that we become educated on what to look for and how to treat and navigate the overwhelming landscape of addiction. So 
Dr. Elisa Hallerman studied depth psychology and somatic studies focusing on neuroscience and trauma, and she's also a member of the Institute for Functional Medicine and is also a drug and alcohol counselor, and she's also certified in yogic science for addictive behavior. And she explores how to recognize adverse childhood experiences and trauma in this episode, which, if they're unhealed, are often at the core of most adult addiction and alcoholism. And in this episode, she also touches on the basic neuroscience behind the brain disease of addiction and how one may best intervene with a loved one and what trauma means and how to spot it, how to treat it, and so much more. So no matter what your experience is when it comes to this field of life, I believe everyone can pocket several nuggets from this episode and I really hope it reaches those who need it most. Like you, Cece. Thank you, Cece, for this topic suggestion so we can have a beautiful episode like this and I hope you enjoy the magic Elisa shares for the soul. All right, Dr. Elisa, I'm so thankful that you're on the show. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. (laughs) What is lighting you up most in this season of your life? What's lighting me up most right now is the excitement of getting the messages of the book out to as many people as possible. I'm really enjoying the process, really enjoy talking to people about the book, the concepts behind sobriety, my own stories that I've never spoken about before, but really just this process of being in it and not knowing really what's going to happen or how it will be received instead of feeling scary, feels really kind of exciting. I'm just really, I woke up this morning and I I was thinking about what you always ask everybody is what lights you up right now? Yeah. (laughs) So I woke up thinking, what's lighting me up today? And really what was lighting me up today was just that I get to go out and do this, which is so cool. Get to connect with amazing people, especially since you are sharing something that is from your personal experience, from the heart, from the soul, and also what you've helped so many other people with. I'd love to hear your full story of your soul's journey and what led you and guided you to the expansive being you are today. What happened for me is I was living in New York City after college, went to law school, woke up, was practicing law, living with a boyfriend at the time, just didn't love living in New York City, didn't love my boyfriend. Really? Being a lawyer. I mean, I do love him as a person yeah. today, yeah. but yes, we weren't in love anymore. Right. And, and I was a baby. And yeah. so decided with my sister at the time um, to moved to LA. We both, she was graduating from college. I was unhappy. It was her idea. And we took off and moved across the country. Basically, I got to Los Angeles. I didn't know anything about the entertainment business. It was 1996, pre-internet. I had no awareness of the entertainment business, prehistoric times. So (laughs) basically, uh, a friend of a friend's go work at an agency. I love it. So right from day one, walking in, I was like, this is exciting. It's beautiful. The people are beautiful. It's very cool as a 20 something year old. And I also felt like I could use my law degree and I would be negotiating eventually. And that would be putting that to use. So that's what I started do- doing. Um, a trauma while I was already a pretty good alcoholic, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about the fact that that had been going on for a while, I segued into drugs in order to anesthetize the pain and the PTSD that I was going through. Eventually, I got sober in 2002, 20 years ago. I put down the drugs and the alcohol and picked up an addiction to workaholism and power, prestige, ego, all of the things that were 
another immediate fix, another way to satiate that deeper pain that I just didn't know what to do with. After a while of hitting those benchmarks and then some and gathering all those shiny new toys and those titles. And so I woke up on my fifth anniversary of sobriety, sad and disconnected from myself with a whisper inside of, is this what you really want? How are you going to get out of it? Was a big one. And that was a really big question and soft whisper that I was able to shush away with any whisper from soul. If we don't listen, it continues to get louder and louder. And if it's not taken seriously, we'll become soul sick in lots of different ways. And eventually those whispers will become screams and then it will feel like for me a brick house fell on your head and mm-hmm. forced to sit still and really listen and pay attention mm, they have their own little soul whisper that lets them know that they need to make the change even though there were little birdies you know friends and family whispering something in their ear it was them that decided to make the change and I'm curious as well because you understand the neuroscience behind it so I'd love to hear the simple terms what can you say about the neuroscience behind the brain disease of addiction in simple terms so I usually tell a story when I want to make it simple and that is let's say you're walking through the woods and you see a bear you have this back part of your brain the reptilian part of your brain That's responsible for your heartbeat, your body temperature, and your survival, your fight or flight. And so we also have the front part of our brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for for rational thought, impulse control, making decisions off our memories. And we're walking along, we see the bear. And before we even have time to think about anything, our reptilian brain, our fight or flight kicks in. And so we're now running. A couple of seconds later, our front brain comes online and we recognize that we're running and we need to start thinking. are now going off our memories. Oh, I saw one time on Bear Grylls, this is what he said to do. Or I read one time that if I just play possum, or maybe I should climb a tree. And you start contemplating what your next move is going to be and resourcing. What happens with chronic substance abuse or chronic addiction is that That stop-start switch where you can go from the back part of your brain and the front part of your brain will take over ceases to work properly. Once that addiction starts, once you put that one sip of alcohol in or take that one puff or whatever it is, you are stuck in your reptilian brain and your reptilian brain is saying, you need this like you need air and water. And this is your survival. And it's why the next day is filled with so much remorse because most of us will say in my quote unquote right mind, I would never have done something like this, regardless of how bright you might be, what socioeconomic level you would be in or anything about you. It's why people do things that they would never do. When you explain it to someone as this is what's going on in your brain and you've been doing this so much that your brain is craving this dopamine hit in a way that it has been now ingrained in your pathways that this is equated to a survival that you can't stop. That makes so much sense as well, because there are just some brains, some minds that seem to not have the awareness once they take that sip of alcohol or whatever it is. Addiction runs in my family. 
And so I wonder why some people in my family experience it and others don't. And do you think that it's a gene, it's hereditary, or do you think that it's just some minds are wired that way? There's a couple of reasons. There's not one gene that speaks to addiction. What we've learned through epigenetics is that if we're predisposed genetically, so if a family member has also has addiction, you will be predisposed, and they're a blood relative, you will be predisposed to having a genetic disposition to addiction. However, you're in an environment, right? If you, even if you do, and you never pick up a drink or a drug and you live this stress-free life and you haven't experienced any sort of trauma and, 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 right? You're not going to have the disease of addiction. My sister and I, I, we grew up in the same family. There's a lot of addiction in my family, she is what I like to refer to as a normie and mm-hmm. does not have the gene. Um, mm. And essentially, right, we came from the same parents, but, and I learned this from Gabor Monte, is that even though we think we grew up in the same families, in a way we didn't because our birth order is different. Our parents were raising us at different times in their own lives when different things were going on for them. Right. And we were going to, diff- you know, we were, had a different set of friends. We were in a different set of circumstances. There's a lot of differences. So whether that gene is going to get expressed depends a lot upon stress factors, underlying issues your environment, and so on. Mm, I think that one big word you pointed out, as well as just different trauma experiences. So what does trauma mean and how can we spot that we may have it and how can we treat it? So trauma can be in three different categories. Acute trauma is what most of us think of as trauma, a car accident, an assault, something like that. And then there's chronic trauma, which is an ongoing trauma, maybe a bullying situation at school, maybe Mm -hmm. a divorce that's left the child having to go back and forth or deal with that on a regular basis or something that's going on every day in these tiny little ways that is a struggle or they're having difficulty in school. So they're having math trauma, if you will, right? Where they just cannot catch up. They don't feel smart. They feel like they can't get a handle on it. They have a learning disability that hasn't been recognized yet. So these are chronic traumas. And then there's complex trauma, which is usually a combination of both. Hmm. So basically there's lots of different ways trauma is anything that that's so overwhelming and so new like we've never seen this happen before right yeah sometimes if god for if you're god forbid in an accident or some of us have been in a car accident sometimes it feels like it's happening in slow motion right because your brain has never had this experience and it's so overwhelming that it's taking it in really really slowly so you almost feel like it's unreal. And that's because you can't compute it. And when you can't take it in, or the stress level is too high, or it's too overwhelming, it doesn't get integrated into your brain and into your memories as the same in the same way that a normal information would. So mm-hmm. that happens. And then you have your body goes into a fight or flight. And if you can't fight back or you can't flee, all of that adrenaline and cortisol and all of this energy that's running through you in order to naturally get yourself out of this is suppressed. All of that energy is held on a cellular level in your body. And that Mm. could look like anxiety, depression, ADHD and all these other diagnoses. Really? 
hundred percent. ADHD. Oh, interesting. I thought that I was just born with it, <laughs> but it it's impossible, right? Without doing a real full, as I call them, soul assessments and really yeah. looking at where the ruptures have been, right. in order to differentiate between what's addiction, what's underlying anxiety or depression. I mean, these are big words that we sort of throw around that mean different things to different people. Right. But, you know, for the different things that can happen after someone's had sort of complex trauma is they'll, they'll have an attachment disorder, if you will. They'll have trouble understanding and connecting with other people. They'll have regulation issues where they have trouble expressing their own feelings or expressing themselves appropriately. They'll have sort of biological medical problems that can show up. They'll be suffering from dissociation, which will look like Mm -hmm. impaired memory. Mm -hmm. They might have behavioral issues. So they'll Mm -hmm. be impulsive or aggressive. They'll have cognitive issues, so they'll have trouble paying attention or processing or problem solving. And they'll have self-concept concerns where there's a low self-esteem, there might be body issues. So, right, all all of that can get misdiagnosed into many things if we're not looking for complex trauma. Ooh. And so what's the difference between a soul assessment or, you know, just go into a regular therapist or psychiatrist or psychologist or whoever um, and having an assessment from them? Right. I can't speak for what everybody else does or doesn't do, but I will say that when I started my company after I'd gone back to school, after I'd left the entertainment business and got back to school, I studied what's called depth psychology, D-E-P-T-H, oriented around the unconscious and a deep belief in the soul and making what is unknown known. And really, instead of pathologizing, looking more towards strength-affirming areas in our life. When I'm looking at someone's life I'm really taking a th- an integrative medical perspective. I'm really looking at a 360. What tell me the story of your life, not where we are right now and what's going on and why you're here. Sure, I want to hear that. But what I'm really interested in is who are you? Tell me mm-hmm. more. Tell me and what I'm looking for in that is strengths and creativity and how they express themselves and what makes sense to them and where there might have been ruptures along the way. Not that those were necessarily traumatic for them because everyone's going to experience trauma differently. It's subjective. But what might be some of these data points that I might want to go back to and not jump to any sort of conclusions of pathology. Now I'm not a medical doctor, so it's always important to also get clinical information from a psychiatrist or any other sort of medical doctor. And then there's also neuropsych testing, which is available. So there's, it's, it's a combination of looking at everything, looking at patterns. That's just my piece of the puzzle. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add, of course, some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and, of course, a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara. And it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And it's packed with clean, 
skin loving ingredients. Their high performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards. So no wonder their best sellers boast thousands of glowing five star reviews. And what also makes them even more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E, medics, Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I need is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 20% off your first order. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Why do you believe that trauma causes us to lose the ability to make meaning out of our lives? Because when we experience trauma, I look at it as soul loss, Mm -hmm. where we become fragmented. And to the outside world, right, I talked about it, it looks like dissociation. But internally, what it feels like is a piece of ourselves is missing. You can hear people that have experienced grief or heartbreak or an accident or something where I just don't feel like myself. I just Mm -hmm. can't get back to who I am. I just feel like I'm different, right? And to me, the way I talk about that is soul loss, that we are fragmented now on the inside that Psyche has broken apart in some way where we're going to have to take the time and really start to alchemize all of those pieces, understand those parts, put them back together and transform. Mm -hmm. So our experiences, so trauma is not about what happened to us. Mm-hmm. It's the way we make meaning of these experiences and oh, the narratives that we create. Yeah. And so when something happens to us, we recognize that it happened in the past, but we still feel in the present as if it's still happening. Yeah. Essentially, we've put these little post-it notes on our soul saying, you're not good enough. You're this, you're unlovable. You will never find what you're looking for, you know, you're not worthy. Mm. It's interesting that you say all this, because I feel like even to this day, even though I've, I feel like I've come a long way as I've, you know, walked along my soul journey, but for myself, some of the traumas that I'm still working out today were from when I was a child. And also when I was a teenager, you know, like many listening probably to, um, I was bullied or and of course that that was my interpretation of it and it felt like it because I felt very lonely I didn't really have friends so I started to just disassociate in class and maladaptive daydreaming or whatever all day long I would not pay attention there there's a lot there to unpack but I mean as a child I mean my parents were the best parents in the world and they still are and they took care of me at home and you know I felt so much love because I had love at home it was just at school I had the issue my parents had no control control over that, you know, and they didn't know because I didn't want to tell them because I was ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you protect your child 
from trauma. So they don't have to experience so much trauma as they grow up in life. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, just using you as an example, I think there's some um, um, in order, you're not going to be able to so, quote unquote, protect your child from experiencing trauma any right. more than you can protect yourself. Right. But like I said, it's not about what, what happened. It's about how you process it. So that's where parents can be extremely protective in let's make sure we work through this. In your case, you said you were ashamed of telling them what was going on. And I think that early on explaining to children in, in, of course, your own language and when they can hear it, the difference between shame and guilt, that when something happens to you and you feel bad about it, that experiences, I feel guilty. And what you can do about that is apologize, make amends, or take a different action the next time. But feeling shame feels like I am a bad person instead of I did something wrong. And Mm. that is not a healthy feeling. And so there's really giving your child some language around it. So maybe they could have you know, changed your languaging around that you were feeling ashamed. Children need to feel a very calm presence. They need to feel seen and they need to feel safe. So if parents are able to self-regulate, which not every parent is, <laughs> their own trauma, then that will feel like a place where your child can crawl into your bed at night and get right a sense of safety or get into the car and take that deep breath or you can spend some time going on a walk or that quiet time right before bed where you can notice that maybe they're feeling dysregulated just by being able to self-regulate that mirror of that will inevitably help them to relax and also really tapping into their felt senses. So when someone says, I feel really nervous or I'm really scared or, you know, kids today will say, I have so much anxiety. What does that look like? What does that feel like in your body? Can you explain to me where it is and what it feels like, or maybe even what it looks like. Is there a color? And just tapping into that felt sense a little bit more using drawing or storytelling or music, however the child likes to express themselves. You'll often be able to see discomfort, read between the lines. That's where they'll have some self-expression if they can't find the words because yeah. trauma is pre-verbal. And also if you're young enough, you don't have the language to explain it. So no. everyone will find another way to express that. So it's really just being really careful about, I always say, if you think something's wrong, there's something wrong. If you, yeah. whether there's smoke, there's fire, take them to a professional, go to a trauma specialist, someone that's not just trauma-informed, but trauma-focused. Mm, yeah. Get some help. Get some help to, to look a little bit deeper. Yeah. And helping the kid that young. I mean, that would have helped me immensely in so many ways. I think that having some sort of open dialogue with your child is key because I don't think that my parents knew, you know, I didn't know my parents didn't really know. Right. And I don't blame them for that because, you know, they did the best with the tools that they had. And the kids today saying that they have anxiety. I didn't even know what anxiety was. I didn't even understand that. And I had a lot of it. And kids are becoming more and more open to communicating. I think, you know, internet probably helps a little bit, but also I think parents are just, they've started doing child work, inner child work, and therefore they're really paying attention to their kids, which is going to help children immensely. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the increased rate of suicidal ideation among adolescents and young mm, people mm-hmm. is true. such an epidemic. And yeah, that's true. 
the fact that it's even a conversation or that they're having at that age when before the internet or before it was on television or these things were even talked about, it was a concept that was, didn't even enter our vernacular. Yeah. So because of the internet, because of pop culture, it's so important to have these conversations and demystify what people are seeing and really explain to them, I think is the most important part. Yeah. And also a lot of kids get addicted. They might have what you were talking about earlier. Maybe it's runs in their family or something, but they, you know, are trying things at a very young age that maybe it's laced with fentanyl or something, but they're also, you know, dying in that way. And how can we like keep an eye out for children or even adults, friends, family? How can we tell if someone is struggling with addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or any other kind of addiction? Well, for adults, it will look like isolation, problems with work, problems with relationships, lying, money issues, legal issues, secretive nature, angry when approached in denial. Yeah. They could be losing or gaining weight excessively not sleeping or sleeping too much Mm. lots of different things with children it's a lot of the same but it's really about instead of a work or legal or anything it's usually school when a child is having trouble in school i mean not just on a test or a grade or but real getting suspended things like that you really want to slow down yeah and ask the question why is this happening what is going on for my child that he's or she is acting out and behavioral issues and excessive sleeping weight changes, isolating, irritability, all of those things, secretive, sneaking out. There's (laughs) a lot of parents will say, oh, they're being teenagers. It's normal. They're just trying things out. And of course, that is the case for some. But in this day and age, with the drug use being fatal, yep. You have to have the conversation. You have to have the conversation. There is no room for not my kid. This isn't right. going to my kid. Right. Because it is. It's going to happen to someone you know, their kid, someone at the school. And it is mm-hmm. everywhere. It's pervasive and it's everywhere. And unfortunately with fentanyl, we're not getting these second chances. Gosh, I have chills right now and tears in my eyes a bit because that's so true. It's a wild epidemic right now. And I can't believe how many kids are, you know, they're just trying it out for fun once or adults and it's laced with fentanyl and yeah, it's fatal. It's so sad. What are your thoughts as well on rehab, sending someone to rehab who has an issue? I... (laughs) You took my breath away for a second. I have have so many things to say on that. There are so many forms of treatment. Yeah. When we say rehab, that's another one. People think of different things, right? So there's inpatient, which is more of hospitalization for psychiatric issues or detox. Then there's residential treatment which can be for mental health or addiction or both. Residential treatment is what most people think of as rehab. And depending upon the person and the family and which treatment center, I think it can be life-changing and life-saving. But I think that the addiction field specifically is not regulated And there are a lot of charlatans out there and there's a lot of big companies 
out there that are in the repeat customer business or will advertise a certain thing and it seems really legit and it's not what your family member or yourself needed. Yeah. And I think that asking all of your questions, if you're calling a 1-800 number or you're just scrolling through the internet and looking for places, when you get on the phone with someone, are you talking to someone that is an 800 number that's going to send you to any number of places that they own? And also right away, you'll notice that they might say to you, what's going on? And what you want to start with is, can you tell me about your program before you even answer what's going on? Because the minute you answer what's going on, some places will have a tendency to gear what they do towards what you said. And Mm -hmm. so asking the questions first are also really important. And the level of clinicians that they do have. Are they working with drug and alcohol counselors? Are they seeing social workers? Are they seeing licensed marriage and family? Is there a family therapist? Is there a psychiatrist that is working solely at the treatment center? Is there a medical director that's there? Is there any sort of integrative medicine? Lots of different questions. All the things that you want to know ask if they have that prior to divulging what's going on. But most people are so desperate and need help so badly that they rush that process a little bit thinking that rehab is the answer and will quote unquote fix it. And you want to just slow down long enough to ask the questions in the same way if someone said to you, okay, you need a brain surgery. You'd be like, whoa, (laughs) let me ask some questions here. Yeah. (laughs) Let me get a second opinion. Who's not, you know, my neighbor's aunt went to this treatment center. Mm. Mm. This is so important. Well, for a variety of reasons, for my, for my own personal experience, there are a handful of people in my life that have been to rehab, actually a few handfuls, but uh, two of them in particular, they, I feel like they just, maybe they weren't there long enough or I don't know what, but they're not with us today. You know, they're not here today. And it makes me think, I don't know. It's not always the rehab that is the answer. There's got to be something more. And so how do we intervene? How do we talk to them? What are the questions that we should ask those that might be suffering? I think it's always important, and this goes back to the assessment process, is what are we trying, what does the person need to heal from? So has there been a mental health diagnosis? Has, okay, we're seeing addiction, but is that because they're self-medicating because they're bipolar? Or are they having some trauma that they started with this? So you really want to have a little bit of an understanding. And this is where a clinician or a doctor can be helpful in what, what are we trying to heal from? How old is this person? And the longer they can stay in treatment, the better. Because in my opinion, 30 days, 30, 60, 90, those are numbers because of how insurance bills. No, there's no, it could take you 42 days. It could take you 402 days. I mean, Mm -hmm. no one knows. Anyone that says you're going to be here X amount, my clients always say, how long am I going to be there? I go, hold on, let me get my crystal ball. I have no (laughs) idea. I would like you to stay at least 90 maybe, and then we can have a conversation, but we can definitely every couple of weeks have a conversation about how you're doing. But where where are they running off to exactly? You know, I understand for adults it's different and we can only have so much time away, but certainly for adolescents and young adults, the more the more time, the better. Yeah. And also... What do we really need to treat? And if there is an underlying mental health concern or that does run in the family or there has been a traumatic event or a divorce, an adoption, an injury, a death, grief, something of that sort, 
And you're going to want to know if they have trauma-focused practitioners because that is really going to be essential in bringing that part on. Now, not everybody believes, and I do as well, that diving into trauma work the minute you get to treatment is appropriate, which I completely agree. However, Mm. having Mm -hmm. language around it and being able to help someone regulate and understand what's going on in their body is essential. Mm. Mm, Wow. How do we find trauma-focused practitioners? There's different kinds of trauma modalities. So like I was saying, trauma is usually stored right on a cellular level in our body. Um, But a couple of different trauma modalities are somatic experiencing, which Dr. Peter Levine founded. He also wrote a great book called Trauma Proofing Your Kids. Go get that. And if you don't like reading books, get the audio or go on YouTube and check out Peter Levine. So there's somatic experiencing. There's EMDR. There's psychodrama. There's any sort of authentic movement. Um, There's internal family systems, IFS, which is Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz. Um, Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. And that's an excellent book about trauma as well. So there's lots of different modalities. I think if you, you know, a lot of people can go on psychology today. I didn't know this. Go on (laughs) psychologytoday.com and you can put in your zip code and you can also then sort of check off what things you're looking for. Someone who understands grief, divorce, substance abuse, trauma, PTSD, whatever. And then you check these little boxes and then you pull up and those that have those checked will come up for you when you do the search. And then you can start investigating and you can ask, I'm sorry, what type of trauma modality do you do? Psychology Today is a great resource indeed. It is, but it can be overwhelming if you're the one who's suffering. Yeah, very true. That is actually very true. Uh, Firsthand, yes, I'm aware. (laughs) And also, okay, so let's say, so we've talked a lot about helping children, but also now let's say someone old and they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Let's say this person's very stubborn and they definitely won't, don't want to let go of at least like a drink or two a night, but you know, sometimes it gets out of hand or something. What do you recommend for helping those that are older, at least calm a bit, calm down, whatever their clear addiction might be, even though they don't really want to admit it. Mm, I'll just speak from my own story. So my, um, when I had two years sober, I realized that my mom had an addiction. I thought for many, many years that she was difficult or crazy or whatever I was labeling her with these Mm -hmm. having trouble connecting with her, all these things. And I write about it in the book and tell, tell the story. And until I was sober, I didn't realize that she actually had an addiction issue Mm -hmm. and was able to then help her get sober. And she was in her sixties. I've had clients as old as 85 years old, get sober I think that if someone's suffering, there's always a way. Mm -hmm. And no, not everybody wants to change. And if it's not affecting Mm -hmm. their day-to-day life and they're just enjoying three whiskeys going to bed and no one's getting hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Great. You know, (laughs) if they want to smoke, that's exactly it. They get to bed, go to bed and it's not affecting their life or anybody else's and their life is totally manageable and they're happy, all the power to you, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. If things are going wrong, if your life is unmanageable, if you're suffering from consequences, if you're trying to stop, but you can't, you promise yourself you will and you can't, 
that's when it's always time to, you know, get some help. There's a lot of people that will drink or smoke or what have you. Do I think there's recreational heroin users? No. But (laughs) when we're talking about alcohol or weed, Mm -hmm. I do think there's a time and a place, of course. And most people can tolerate. It's when you notice for yourself and it's subjective or your loved ones are telling you you act differently or they're seeing a different side of you. And those are, those are the signs that you really want to look at and take stock. It doesn't mean that anyone is labeling you as an alcoholic or a drug addict. There are plenty of people that just want to check it out. What's it like to be sober, be abstinent, Mm. if you want to say that, for 30 days and see how it feels. Try it on. Yes, yes. And live a soul sobriety life just to see, just to see. I love the name, by the way, soul sobriety. How did you come up with that? So as I said, I studied depth psychology in yeah. graduate school, you know, in my 40s, started to really do as you do in grad school, a deep dive on yourself. And all of the language around soul and psyche and the unconscious and the imaginal and archetypal psychology really spoke to me on a really creative and deep level of being able to do my own inner work in a way that I hadn't found in any other modality. And it complemented the trauma work that I had done and the 12-step work that I had done and the independent therapy that I had done in a way that was so profound. When I set out to do my dissertation research, the question I wanted to ask was, could doing soul work extend long-term recovery from addiction? And the answer to the study was yes, but that the participants did not have the language around soul or how to do that internal work or this depth psychological language that I didn't have prior to going to school. And that's how I started to develop soul sobriety, which is for anyone, you know, the book is a plan to heal your trauma, overcome addiction and reconnect with your soul. So whether you're addicted to your phone, workaholism, food, buying shoes, whatever it is, (laughs) or you've experienced some sort of trauma, or you're just generally lacking meaning and purpose in your life, then sobriety is for you. And so it's very, very, you know, it's very broad. And so I started working on it with my clients and what I started to notice was really being able to talk about it and give them language and all of that was very helpful. During the pandemic, I was inundated with so many really difficult and a lot of trauma, a lot of meaning making, a lot of what am I doing now? Where am I in my life? Suicidal ideation, obviously Mm. addiction. Mm -hmm. And I just started to feel like this, this was no longer just my story. This was something that I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started writing, writing the proposal. Um, So that's where sobriety came from, really. And it's going to help heal so many people and so many people, at least even if it plants a seed for many people, mm-hmm. or maybe there might be things that people don't even realize that they struggle with. Cause sometimes it, you know, it takes someone to point certain things out for you to really recognize it, you know? Exactly. So, exactly. I call those the guides that appear, right? Yeah. You to take that next step and listen to those whispers the guides will appear in the form of other people who have maybe done it before. Yeah, absolutely. So beautiful. Do you have any other messages before we move on to rapid fire? Um, No, I think we covered so much. Um, (laughs) Yes. 
you did you did great you asked really really good questions oh you did amazing are you kidding me this has been such an amazing episode and it's not over yet because we got rapid fire we gotta know where everyone can connect with you and get your book so let's move on to rapid fire coffee or tea coffee all day long yes 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 faith form of body movement pilates oh i love pilates where is your happy place the beach Mm, yeah animal that you connect with most if any goose and gus goose and gus what's what's gus they're both my dogs oh cute oh what kind of dogs goose is my 14 year old brussels terrier mick Cute. Um, yeah, he's he's a real soul dog. Gus Gus is my four pound multi poo mix, <laughs> who's a bit of a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> Gus Gus and Goose. I love the names. Do you have a morning routine? Yes, coffee. I like to uh, my uh, Allison, who works with me, and I were 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 talking about this the other day. I, for me, a big routine in reconnecting is the water. And so a big thing for me is like taking a shower and just showering off the energy or showering off a conversation or showering off the day. So the morning is about a long, hot shower, getting some coffee, meditating, taking some time to go inward. I just got this new device um this is not a this is not a plug i'm not getting paid to do this <laughs> but it's called the apollo neuro and it oh was yeah developed. i yeah. have that yeah that's great that's so i put that on and i swear by this and yeah. just really taking time to just connect with myself before i jump into the day which is me doing a lot of crisis management and a lot of working with other people and, um, and then, yeah, just being able to do the things I need to get my head on for. So cool. So good. And if you could gift everyone, you know, a book, excluding your own, of course, what would it be? Mm, That's such a good question. (laughs) If I could give everyone a book, I would give them Mark um, Nepo's book that is a daily meditation book. Um, Nepo is a poet and he writes from a place of soul and every morning and every night when I read that daily reflection, it feeds my soul in a way that I can't explain um that mm. to me would be the book that I would share and have shared with mostly everyone I'm going to look into that book Mark Nepo okay and this is the last question Elisa I ask all the own magic guests how would you advise the your own magic listeners to create their own magic to me my own magic stems from a place of curiosity oh yes I think that following your curiosity in every way Mm -hmm. and listening to those whispers is the essential way to create your own magic, which lies inside of you. Stop looking everybody else. You have the answers right here. I fully agree with that. Oh, such a beautiful answer. And where can everyone connect with you and get your book? The book is available for pre-order everywhere that you can buy books um, online. We did something really cool today, actually, which is if you pre-order the book and go to the link on Hachette, then you get immediately chapter one. Oh, that is amazing. Wait, what day does the book come out? The book comes out on December 6th. Okay, yeah. So pre-order because this comes out November 28th, this episode. So yeah, pre-order, pre-order. So pre-order, pre-order if you want a a sneak peek or you can't wait, then (laughs) um, you will get that. And so that's where you can buy the book, Soulbriety. You can connect with me on Instagram at dr. Alisa Hallerman. 
and my website so you can learn more about Recovery Management Agency and how you might want to work with us is drhallerman.com. Amazing. And all that will be in the show notes, of course. And I so appreciate you coming on here and sharing your wisdom, your knowledge. And man, I hope that this, I'm sure that many people are going to pick up some nuggets in there. And I hope that this healed or spoke to someone who really needed it. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a great hour speaking with you and um, it was really fun. So thanks for having me. Yomis, it is time for the outro. Thank you so much for tuning into the Your Own Magic Podcast for the creative and the curious soul. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already to be notified when a new episode is alive. And if you have a spare moment and you feel the nudge to, it would mean the world if you left a five-star rating and review. And I'm looking forward to reading whatever your heart has to say. And feel free to say hi as well and connect with the community by visiting the Your Own Magic Facebook group linked in the show notes. And if you have any future topic ideas or a question that comes to heart you'd like me to cover, then I'd love, love, love to hear from you in our topic box on the Your Own Magic website at yourownmagicpodcast.com. And there you'll also find a membership portal leading to guided meditations by me and some journaling prompts some spiritual or creative tools, and more. And of course, feel free to stop by the new online shop for artisan jewels, trinkets, and more at eyesofaspen.com. And with that said, have a magical rest of your day. Send in my love. Jai Mat.